Welcome in to the 20th and Blake podcast here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with all of you. Still stranded in Albuquerque as of now, so I apologize for the lack of audio quality. Hopefully, the next time you hear my voice, it'll be back on the good mic. I got to get back to Denver as soon as possible, right? Opening day right around the corner. Don't worry. Plans are in place to get me there, but since we are just a few days out, that means it is time for me to do my official predictions for the season. And these are just, by the way, because I want to go in depth here. I, I don't want to shortchange any of this. this. These are all just Rockies predictions. For those of you that are curious, I will, uh, right before the season starts, drop a little bit in with, with less analysis on, say, who I think is going to win the National League, or MVP, Cy Young, stuff like that, right? But we're just doing the Colorado Rockies today because, again, those of you that know me know that I'm in of the belief that they deserve that, and every team does. You should be able to dive into just this upcoming season for your ball club, how I think guys are going to do, and, and a couple other little things. So let's begin. I'm going to build up to the big ones, right? Best player, how many games they're going to win, where they'll finish in the division, all of that stuff. Let's begin down on the farm for the top farm system prospect. Now, there's an easy answer to this question, and by the numbers, it will almost certainly be Zach Veen. I think Zach Veen's going to have a huge year. Uh, he's going to do the things. He's going to continue to draw comparisons to guys like Cody Bellinger, though not current Cody Bellinger. No, no slight on, on where he's at right now, but he's obviously you know, struggling a bit, but you know, the good version <laughs> is what we're talking about. So uh, I think Zach Bean is in for a big year, continues to do those things. I think Ben Montgomery is going to have a very nice year as well. Excited to see how that goes. But the guy I think is your value pick here. The guy I think is really going to have the, the kind of season that really jumps his value in terms of how he's seen as a prospect is Drew Romo. And it already started to happen last year, but one season evaluators and fans and, and whoever else scouts can go, well, you know, maybe he got hot for the year. Maybe he was just in a good rhythm. He was in a good place mentally. Almost anybody, uh, and that's not entirely true, but once you're in professional baseball, almost anybody can have a good year, right? In the minor leagues, there's so much variability in the, the kind of talent that you're facing off against on any given night. You know, there could be one of the best pitchers in the world going. There could be one of the worst professional pitchers in the world going on back-to-back -back nights in the minor leagues. You know what I mean? So one season where Drew Romo, who has a profile that a lot of people don't like, which is essentially as simple as high school catcher. And it is true that a lot of catchers taken out of high school don't really pan out, uh, even to a larger extent than we know most prospects don't pan out. But it's even harsher on high school catchers. But when you get past that one thing and just look at the specific player of Drew Romo and what he's done so far in his career, everything is moving in a positive direction. I think he continues that. You know, it's going to be tough. They're going to challenge him. They're going to push him. He's still very young for the level. And there's a lot of things for a guy who's a catcher and a game manager and also a switch hitter to be figuring out, right? And, and that was one of the things is most people, even people like me who were high on the pick, thought, okay, Drew Romo is going to be a really long-term project because of the high school catcher thing. But on top of that, switch hitting, catching in general, there's just so much that goes into it. But the reports are that this guy could catch a big league game pretty much right now. That was almost the report on him coming out of high school. He's one of the best defensive catchers 
in minor league baseball. His hands are incredible. His release time to get rid of the ball down to second base, the arm is strong. The, there's no, there's really no question about him defensively. He's just a fantastic defensive catcher, which in and of itself for me is an extraordinary value. But obviously you've got to be able to hit some if you're going to get to the big leagues, right? And so far he's hit very very well. One year, rookie level. Well, they don't have rookie level anymore. <laughs> a ball. But that's my pick for you. And and that's obviously, you know, that's your best case scenario for a Rockies guy to have a good year too. And I think if that happens, you're going to start seeing him on all the top 100 lists. And, and that's what's going to go down there. Where Veen is already on those lists, you know, and the best that Zach Veen could do with a really good year is improve his prospect stock from like the 35th best prospect in baseball to the 17th or something like that. And I think we, you know, there's a decent chance we see that as well. But it's Drew Romo is going to be the guy who wasn't on those lists at all before and will be. Because once again, you get past that thing of these types of players don't generally pan out. If what he is continues to develop and you can move that up through the system, that's an extraordinary value for your organization. And eventually, potentially, still a couple of years down the road for your major league ball club. All right, let's talk about someone who is uh, a little bit closer and that is the top rookie pick right so now we're going up the, these guys who I, i'm expecting to have rookie campaigns to you know have the rookie eligibility and do all of that though it's tough to tell which of these guys is actually going to get enough playing time again there are a few candidates here you could look at colton welker who you know, if not for the eye stuff and all these random things that keep happening to him, maybe he would have even made this opening day roster. And he's the guy with the most experience, kind of the highest floor, more of a safe bet pick. But there are the questions about these weird random injuries, none of which are related to each other or have anything to do with anything. But Welker's an interesting pick, but he just missed all of spring training except for these last couple of days. But he got right in there and started hitting immediately, didn't he? Like he's just a good hitter. So there's a pick if you want to get creative, you know, on the Ryan Belade situation, though, again, uh, didn't play a lot this spring. But those of you who've listened to me before, if you've read my stuff, if you know, if you, if you listen to the podcast before, you know where I'm going with this. My pick for the Colorado Rockies top rookie is Harris Montero, uh, especially after, you know, Ryan Rollison would have been a really interesting pick here, too. But now with him on the 60 day I.L., it really does mean that this is Montero's spot. And I probably would have picked him anyway, quite frankly. I'm very high on this kid's bat. I think he's got all of the possibility uh, to be uh, a 20 home run guy this year. You know, there's there's questions about the defense. There's questions about uh, whether or not if you brought him up to the big leagues right now that he would be a little overwhelmed and start striking out a bit more and you don't want him to come out of his batting profile, which is to be patient. He takes his walks, even in the minors, which is a big thing. He does. He's never been an above league average strikeout guy, despite the fact that he's put up huge power numbers. And he came to spring this year and from a bat perspective, looked like he just belonged. Right? He was one of the best players in the league when he was in high A ball in the Cardinals organization. He was one of the best players in double A last year. For the Colorado Rockies, few appearances in AAA where he more than held his own, and now he was good at spring training. I think Montero's on the verge of a breakout. I would not be shocked if it is 
a month into the season. And if anybody happens to be hurt or they just need a guy for whatever reason, somebody's slumping that you weren't expecting, um, they they just call on Montero from uh, from AAA, especially if he's raking, which I fully expect him to put up some big, big numbers in Albuquerque to start the season. All right, let's move it on up to the big league club and start diving into the stuff I know you really want to hear about. Uh, well, maybe maybe not starting in the bullpen, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Who do you pick here, okay? Rocky's best reliever. Now, in this category, there are a lot of options, but not necessarily for a good reason. It's basically, right, you're not sure who amongst them could do something and, and really bring themselves to stand out. But I'm going to make a pick here that might sound quite bizarre, especially if you really did watch last season. I know a lot of people didn't, but if you really were in it, this is going to sound strange to you. But my pick for the Colorado Rockies best reliever in 2022 is Daniel Bard. And the reason is that every reason for his failings in 21 last year, and, and make no mistake, he was bad. Even though by the end of the year, I think he got his ERA plus back up to like 91. So it looks like he had an okay season. He really didn't. Like for the first half of the year, he was blowing games bad for the Rockies. Uh, there was a little bit of walking too many guys, but honestly, he was just getting hammered hard. He was giving up home runs. He was getting pummeled. And the two biggest reasons were, one, that he had become too predictable with his fastball slider combination, and two, just a, a bit of bad mechanics that were, you know, messing up his command a bit, right? And those are two things that a guy at his age and his experience level can fix, you never know. Again, these are predictions. You never know that he's going to, but he's added wrinkles to the game. He started throwing a change up a little bit more often. And that sinker, I think, is going to be the key. If he can really use that thing as a wicked run back the other way pitch on guys, because they just got to the point where they'd wait for the fastball to be up and, and Bard was having a hard time keeping it down. They'd lay off everything else. And he didn't have good enough third or fourth pitches to keep guys honest. But he showed up this spring with a sinker that can more than keep guys honest. There was a minute there. It was looking ridiculous. And it's not going to be that all year. But again, what you what you need is to keep guys off of guessing at your pitch. And that's how he was giving up a lot of that hard contact. Because when you look at every single other peripheral for Daniel Bard, his velocity, his spin rates, all that kind of stuff, even swings and misses. Or take a look at the fact that he absolutely dominated right-handed hitting even when he was bad. Like, even when he was at his absolute worst, he was still getting ridiculous numbers against righties. It's lefties. Killed him last year. I'd have to look it up, but I think they slugged like 600 against it. Like, it, it was absurd. He And it got to a point where I think it, it became mental as well. Like, he knew he wasn't getting lefties out. Every time he saw a lefty come to the plate, it was just, oh, no, here we go again, right? But I think those are very fixable things. And I saw the way Daniel showed up at spring training this year, uh, especially with that sinker. And I think he's going to get it back. I, I think he, he's even got a chance to be a, a dominant guy. Now, it could go the other way. But again, usually when a guy is, you know, older, you know, 36 years old or something and has a bad year, you go, well, he's fading. He might be even close to having to retire, right? But with Bard, don't forget that there were six years there where he wasn't throwing 
live Major League Baseball pitches, right? As the old saying goes, there's only so many bullets in the gun. You know, professional wrestlers will say you can you have X number of bumps that you can take over the course of your career. It's the same thing with pitchers. You've you've got X number of pitches that you can throw at for him 98 and up, and with the kind of tilt he needs on his slider. You've only got so many of those in your career, and Bard has quite a few more of those left, despite his age, because of the strangeness of his career. So I think it's going to be really interesting uh, to see a guy getting some of these ugly swings back out there again after such a bad year. So that's my pick for best reliever. Outside the box on that one, could have gone Estevez, could have gone Colome, could have even gone Justin Lawrence or Robert Stevenson. I was I was tempted to go with Bob Stevenson, but did not. Uh, I I feel good about this Daniel Bard one. Strange one, but I feel good about it. Okay. Here's a random ass prediction for you. That's the technical term. This is the category we're in now. Uh, well, so I was, I was thinking about you know, all the different things and the, that you can do on the diamond as we're going to get into here. And one was like, well, you know, you're, you're on the bases, right? Who's going to be the Rockies' best base dealer or best base runner this year? And then I just thought, no, <laughs> that's not going to be a thing. That's not going to happen. So here's here's this prediction. I will say that the Rockies will be 30th in Major League Baseball in stolen bases. Uh, they've got two guys on the team, uh, three if you count Daz. I, okay, I think Daz will be taken. So they've got three guys on the team who even should be trying to steal bases, and I think they're all going to be on the bench most of the time. It's Garrett Hampson, Sam Hilliard, and as I just remembered, Jonathan Daza. Beyond that, none of these dudes should even think about, like McMahon can take a base every once in a while. I know he likes to be an athlete. He likes to get into things and run a bit. And I don't have a problem with them doing that occasionally, but that just cannot be uh, the, the standard operating procedure for this team, right? You've got Bryant, McMahon, Blackman, Crone, Diaz, Rogers, Grichik, like, Get on base and then hit the ball over the wall. Like they don't need to overcomplicate this stuff. They really shouldn't be running. Yes, occasionally. Like, and that's what's kind of funny is Garrett Hampson might be one of the best base stealers in baseball. And so you can use him in some of those ways. Uh, there's there's a, a bonus prediction for you. Garrett Hampson will have like 70% of the Rockies stolen bases this year. The problem with Sam and Jonathan is that they got to get on base. In, or, you know, maybe use them off the bench to steal some bases, that, but they're all going to be like <laughs> or 50 plus percent of the Rockies stolen bases this year will be pinch runner stolen bases. You know what I mean? Because they just don't have speed in the lineup. And I ultimately don't, you know, it's not the 80s or 90s anymore. And fine. I like that style of baseball and I think it can play up at Coors Field, but it's just not the roster they have. So don't be looking for anybody, you know, to steal double digit bases for your ball club this year. Not going to happen. All right. Let's get into a few other things here. Rocky's best hitter. And, you know, what does that mean all around? What stat do you want? WRC plus, OPS plus, you're more of a batting average on base, slugging percentage kind of person in your evaluation, whatever you're doing out there. I kind of think regardless of which evaluation you're using, and, and I wanted to go off the board here, I could have gone with another pick and, and there's someone I considered, but it's going to be Chris Bryant. It's it just the, the smart number, the smart money, the resume, even just his approach the other day, uh, that, that double he hit against Milwaukee on a pitch 
curtailing in on him that he just went down and kind of yanked to left field and somehow managed to keep it fair. Like the guy just has the swing that's built for, well, you know, the things he's done in his career, his career 132 OPS plus, which would be like, like that's what he's averaged right throughout, throughout his career. And that would be a career high for everybody else on the roster. Maybe Blackman got up to 130. I don't even think he did that one year because it's now it'll be interesting to see if, Bryant's OPS plus takes a hit. And if he has any kind of, you know, experience with the hangover effect and how his numbers are, because he's always been a really good hitter on the road, but he's never had to deal with this before. So that's going to be interesting too. But ultimately I think Bryant is going to get to his 35 plus home runs. I think it's likely he hits over 300 on bases very well. Uh, you know, just does the normal Chris Bryant things, even though I think you've got other hitters who might have great seasons too. I had to go with Bryant. I couldn't get clever enough to go with anybody else there. Same thing here. Rocky's best defender is going to be Ryan McMahon. It's not a fluke. It's not an accident. It it didn't come out of nowhere as much as some people may not have been predicting it or projecting it, myself absolutely included. The fact is that Ryan McMahon has just turned himself into this defender. He can do it at third. He can do it second. Do it first. He's been doing it all spring training. He did it all last year, and he's not going to stop. In fact, not only will Ryan McMahon be the Colorado Rockies' best defender, Ryan McMahon will finally end Nolan Arenado's streak of nine consecutive gold gloves at third base. Ryan McMahon this year, because it won't be a surprise, and because he won't be splitting time at second. He'll be there at third, and he's going to put up like 25 defensive runs saved just at third base and it'll be too overwhelming. Ryan McMahon will be the best defender in the national league. Again, he may even win the platinum glove, but I think, and I didn't predict last year, by the way, at no point did I predict that Ryan McMahon was going to beat Nolan Arenado for that thing. Cause just know how these things go and how the voters tend to think and, and all of that. I was I was happy that he got nominated. I was happy that they acknowledged enough and the numbers were a big part of that too. But I knew he wasn't going to win last year. This year's a different story. You do it two years in a row and now people aren't just saying, well, hey, you can't compare him to him. It's like, actually, you can and should compare him to him, at least on this aspect of the game. So, Rocky's best pitcher. Here's another very difficult one that... You could take really any of the Rockies top four rotation guys. Look, I'll be shocked out of my mind if Chad Cool is the Rockies best pitcher this year. Okay. <laughs> I will be absolutely shocked if he's their best starter, but any of the other four guys, not at all. If Austin Gomber is the Rockies best pitcher this season, not only is that not surprising, that's also really good for your ball club. That's great news, right? And there's a lot I wrote about recently on milehighsports.com about how Austin Gomber could get there. And there's a lot in the peripherals to suggest he's got a ton of room for improvement. And he was very good last year. Antonio Sensatella, I feel like we've had this conversation for a couple of years now. What you get with him is a baseline of good. And he's shown moments of flirting with very good. In fact, his entire shortened 2020 campaign he was one of the best pitchers in baseball over a small sample size. So I see all that. And then you've got the two big dogs who've done it a bit more than we've seen before. Marquez, the all-star, Freeland, the guy 
who nearly won a Cy Young award. But my pick is the guy who nearly won the Cy Young award. And I, and I, you know, I could see my, I could see myself just laughing at this pick at the end of the year, because I, I, I do think if anyone's going to win a Cy Young award on this team, it's going to be Marquez, uh, especially because the strikeout stuff is there. Voters love the strikeout stuff. All the advanced metrics prefer that you strike guys out. But here is the thing. Kyle Freeland knows how to pitch, man. And I know that sounds like some garbage ass, like he's a ball player. He's a competitor. And look, those those old school baseball phrases, you know, I sometimes chuckle and roll my eyes at them as well. But they also all apply to Kyle Freeland. And and then there, there's the in-between-the-line stuff as well. The fact that he has a long enough resume now showing that he can get a strikeout here and there, but he creates as much weak contact as any pitcher in the game when he's going well. He's led the league in double plays induced a bunch of times. It's not on accident. He's got an approach. He sticks to it. He mixes up his pitches really, really well. He pitches with confidence. And yeah, every once in a while, you're going to give up that big game or that big inning at Coors Field, but he minimizes probably the most underrated skill. And it's more important for Rockies pitchers than anybody else. And roughly 1,000% of them will tell you this. I've talked to John Gray about it. I've talked to Chad Bettis about it. I've talked to Jorge De La Rosa about this, right? The most important skill. In fact, I'll tell you a story that I think Tracy Ringlesby told to me on another podcast I did a long time ago. And it was Pedro Estacio telling John Gray the key to being able to pitch well at Coors Field. And that is, don't give up the next one. Because you know you're going to give up something. You're, you're not going to be perfect out there. And this is true, again, for, for all pitchers. You've got to be able to bounce back if someone just hit a three-run jack against you to make it a 3-3 ball game. The, the most important thing, and especially at Coors Field, is making sure it doesn't become a 5-3 ball game just because you're angry and frustrated and can't control your emotions about the one pitch you threw 15 minutes ago. And Kyle Freeland, again, another old school baseball term, has a short memory, has the ability to bounce back and say, you know, when he was struggling in 2019, it wasn't because he was beating himself up. It wasn't because of his mental his mechanics were all screwed up and he couldn't throw the ball where he wanted to. It happens. Where he is now, you know, it may not be by ERA plus. It may even have to be some kind of old school baseball stat that people really don't like, pitcher win or whatever it is. But Kyle Freeland's going to lead this pitching staff. He's going to be very good this year, I think, because he's got experience on top of what he had before, which was just a fantastic combination of skill and mindset, mentality competitiveness, how to attack guys, how to not be afraid of the wild card game or the big debut or whatever. So he had all that stuff before, but now he can pair it with, you know, several years of experience and being the guy and of being right in the middle of his prime. Yeah, I'll take Kyle Freeland this year as the Rockies' best starting pitcher. Okay, one last individual prediction to make, and then we'll get into some of the big team stuff. And this is the big one. Who will be the Colorado Rockies' best player, their MVP, their top dog, I guess in terms of war, um, if that's what you're into? Ryan McMahon. 
I have made this prediction before, or, or prediction similar to it, predicting that he'd get into an all-star game he's not yet gotten into, and any number of other things. But it's still bound to happen. There is so much untapped potential in this guy, despite the fact that he was the best defender in baseball last year, arguably, according to certain metrics and my eye test. But I don't think people have enough appreciation for the leap forward that his bat took last year because he he was just league average by the end of the year because he didn't become a star. But becoming a league average bat in just your second year of full baseball, especially when it was, you know, there was a whole pandemic in the middle of it and a lot of your development time has been screwed up. I, you know, I understand why it was disappointing. I was disappointed in it too. I'm sure he was disappointed in it. But when you just look at the numbers and a guy who put up a 74 OPS plus his rookie year, a 98 OPS plus his essentially in his sophomore year, is now in the middle of his physical prime, did prove what he can do defensively last year while switching around all these positions, having to live in the shadow of Nolan Arenado and all the things that were going on with the Rockies last year, just as a franchise, as an organization, him having to deal with the hangover effect, all the things that come into it. Now, he's had all that experience. He's got his new contract. He's locked in. He's got a happy superstar who wants to be here playing in that role, and he gets to be the kind of second, third captain guy. Uh, and, and this is what I'm telling you, folks. Ryan McMahon is built for this kind of stuff. I unfortunately didn't quite get the chance to meet Chris Bryant while I was down at spring training. Um, but Brian Mack, uh, I'll tell you this story real quickly. Uh, you know, when I walked in the clubhouse, he was about to walk out. He was grabbing water, going out to hit, and he saw me walk in, and I was kind of talking to somebody else. And he made a point to stop where he was going. He turned around. He walked over to me, said, hey, Drew, good to see you. I hadn't seen you yet this spring training. I hope you're doing well, and shook my hand. You know, and, of course, I congratulate him on the contract. He said, absolutely. Feels good, brother. Feels good. Ran out to hit. You know, didn't, didn't have an interview, didn't have a conversation. He just saw I was there, shook my hand, and wanted to say hello. He does this with everybody. He he knows everybody's name, not just mine. He engages. When you do an interview with Ryan McMahon, he's talking to you as a person and not thinking about, oh, what do I not want to say? What do I not want to give away? And I actually 100% understand why a lot of guys approach interviews that way. But McMahon is the total package, and he has been for a long time. The bat is always a work in progress. There's few things in professional sports that are more difficult than trying to hit major league pitching. And one of the best attributes that you can have to grow in that is your mind, is your approach, is your drive, is your work ethic. And Ryan McMahon has an 80 grade skill on all of those. And so, yes, for the third year in a row or whatever, I am predicting a breakout near superstar season for Ryan McMahon because it's all there. The athleticism, power, all that stuff that I talked about. And again, I don't think he's going to hit like 330 with 50 home runs. I think you're looking at a season where he can hit 270 on base, maybe 350 and up. That'd be big. But I think that's in there. I think I think guys are going to start getting afraid when he really does keep the consistency of the power up. You know, he knows how to take care of his body better than ever. All of these things 
I think are going to go into a season where he's going to top 30 home runs. He's going to hit maybe 265 to 270, but the on base will be there because he's going to draw those walks once the the consistent power is there. Guys are afraid to make a mistake to him, and especially if they've got him protected in the lineup, if C.J. Crone or Chris Bryant or an improved Brendan Rodgers are hitting behind him, I think that's going to help too because you know Trevor Story not being a good hitter last year really didn't do any favors to a guy like Ryan McMahon. Uh, who pitchers just weren't going to bother to make a mistake to, especially when he got off to such a hot start, right? So yes, once again, I predict the year of McMahon. And I do think he'll have higher wins above replacement than Chris Bryant, who I'm expecting to be in the four to five range. I think we're looking at a five to six to seven war campaign out of Ryan McMahon because he's given you four with his defense basically alone. Like you're starting at four, right? And so, yeah, see what happens with the bat. All right, let's get into the big team predictions here. Uh, one thing I want to give everyone this caveat, if you if this is your first time uh, listening to me do predictions, first of all, welcome and thank you and hello. And second of all, one thing you should know about my uh, preseason predictions for the Colorado Rockies is that I do everything I can to study the the roster exactly as it is and pick basically a middle point where I think it makes the most sense. And I have over the years developed a reputation for being uh, incredibly positive about the Colorado Rockies, and I'm not in the least bit confused about where that comes from. At the same time, you should know that in doing this since 2013, I've been giving predictions every year, and I've only been over the Rockies' final win total twice. And it was back-to-back seasons where I think everybody was over the Rockies' win total. The first time was in 2019, where I was off by like 20 games, like everyone else was. I had them, I think, in the high 80s, which is what they had done before in 18 and 17 right? Uh, They won 91 games in 18. I I thought they were due for a little bit of a step back. I think I had them at 86 or 87 wins in 2019. And obviously that season turned into a disaster. And so I was like 20 games over. But by the way, so was everybody else. When you go back and look at it, the Rockies were uh, a trendy pick that year to go back to the postseason. And they'd been there two years in a row. There were, you know, they'd lost some pieces, but they'd gained some pieces. There was not a lot of belief that they were going to be terrible. Even from the people I knew who were predicting that they weren't going to be as good as they were, 2019 for a lot of us just kind of came out of nowhere, right? And then, of course, there's the very next year, 2020, which I I don't count for anything, but still as it was, I had the Rockies at two or three games over 500 in their shortened 60-game campaign, and they came in two or three games under 500, which is a massive swing in a season like that. It was the difference between the postseason and not. But ultimately, every other year, just so you know, I tend to pick a number that a lot of people think at the time is very high. I did this a year ago. I had the the club at about 75 wins in spring training, but then Kyle Freeland and Scott Oberg went down on the like on the same day and then we knew that Oberg was going to miss probably the season and we knew that Freeland was going to miss significant time and I downgraded my season win prediction from 75 to 70 and that was my official prediction going into last year 
they ended up winning 74. That's usually how that goes for me. I predicted them to win 90 games in 2018. They won 91. I predicted them to win, I think, 85 games in 17. They won 87, right? So just keep all that in mind when I give you this number. I think the Colorado Rockies in 2022 are going to win 82 baseball games. Now, that is, again, a, a middle-of-the-target projection for me, right? I think there's a chance they win more than that. If they get good luck and good health and a couple of breakout seasons, and if Ryan McMahon is as good as I was just saying he was about <laughs> that I'm predicting him to be, they could win 85, 86 games. And I think 85 is probably what it's going to take to get into the postseason. It's hard to tell that that whole thing is going to we're going to have to reevaluate and, and re-gauge that with extra postseason spots and all kinds of you know things going on. But what that number will, will actually be, and it's always determined a little bit by the quality of your league or division. But I don't think that's going to be a factor because there's no way the Rockies are winning their division this year. And so it all comes down to how those wild card spots shake out. Um, I, I think 82 wins is likely to leave them just short. I think that'll be good for fourth in the division. So 82 is a big improvement. It's a big step in the right direction. It's a winning season. It's something to build on. It'd be disappointing to do all that, still not make the postseason. I know there would be a lot of people who would say that's even more of a failure because you should just tank if you can't make the postseason, which I could not disagree with more. But again, I think there's there will be that opportunity. One thing I'm not you know factoring into this is if the Rockies get off to a really hot start, uh, would Bill Schmidt go out and uh, swing a move in a trade? Especially you know we've talked a lot about those prospects down in the minors of Valade, Welker, and Montero, who all have great potential and all also kind of play some of the same positions, which are also positions manned currently by Ryan McMahon and C.J. Crone. And so you, you're going to need some of those guys. But if all three are raking and suddenly have like huge value out there in the trade world and could net you a top end closer or a fifth rotation starter or one more big bat in your lineup that could put you over the top. Because I do think, you know, if, if the Rockies sign Michael Conforto the moment after I publish this, which would be exactly the kind of thing they would do, that pushes them into the postseason in my mind. You know, as a prediction, of course, you never know. There's always the caveats. People get hurt. Things can happen. It can go the other way just as well. So when I pick 82, that means, you know, 78 or 77 wins shouldn't be totally shocking either, uh, especially if there's some bad injury luck or some down seasons, whatever it may be. And then you're kind of in a weird spot where you've only won a few more games than you did the year before. Not a lot of direction. You're not quite sure where to go. But again, it'll all depend on the reasons why you won that number of games. But 82 is going to be my official prediction this year. If history, uh, for the most part, continues again, other than 19 and 20, and they end up besting my prediction by a couple of games, I think that puts them right on the border, right on the edge. And it may come down to things like tiebreakers or, or whatever, right? About whether they can sneak into the final spot and then I don't know, probably get their asses kicked by the Dodgers in the postseason. But we all know, right, the Dodgers can win 110 games in the regular season, and that doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series. It, it, right? It doesn't even mean they're going to get out of the first round. So it, it's going to be a fascinating year. I'm really excited for this season because I do think there's just so much variability. I think we really don't know 
Uh, there's a lot of these guys that could surprise us for better and or for worse. But I do think, I, I think this 82 is the right middle. You know, and I wasn't sure where I was going to come down. I'd been leaning high 70s, but being around the team, getting a look at how hard Gritchick hits the ball, a few other things, you know, and, and as I've said a few hundred times, a lot of it's going to come down to whether or not that bullpen can just be okay. I, I read something today. I can't remember which one. I was reading a bunch of different stuff, so I don't want to credit the wrong person. But, you know, somebody said to me, or not to me, in the article, they said, I, you know, I'm not sure that Colum A. Bard and Estevez, and I think they included Stevenson as well, said, I don't know that that's enough to give you one of the better bullpens in the National League. And my thought was, no, no, it's... It's almost certainly not, but I'm not sure that the Rockies need to have one of the best bullpens in the National League. They just can't be awful. They just can't be the worst bullpen in the National League, which is what they were last year. Arguably Arizona, when you look at the statistics, ultimately, but a lot of Arizona's terribleness was at the end when they were really not trying to win on purpose, right? Where... The Rockies, when they were in competitive games early in the season, up trying to win, were blowing saves from, you know, a lot of it Daniel Bard, but other guys too, that just cost them way too much last year. And if they curtail that a little bit, no, it doesn't make them world beaters, but it does make them a postseason team. So watch this space. Going to be a fascinating year. Thank you all for listening. If you've got your own predictions or anything else, if there's some other element of the team uh, that I didn't get to, I think I kind of nailed it there. Um, coach of the year, that's not a thing. The manager of the year will be Bud Black once again uh, for the Colorado Rockies. He will he will once again. And actually, he, he could be an interesting dark horse candidate for manager of the year in the National League because a lot of times that evaluation is it comes when people are surprised. So, yeah. I think people are going to be surprised that the Rockies are pretty quality this year. Thank you for listening in. Hit me up on social media if you've got any other questions, predictions, any of that good stuff. You can always slide into my DMs and ask me about the Discord channel. Other than that, I can only ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Priestman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.